I'm Sam Clements, and welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. This is a podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime and is entirely curated by guests on this podcast. Today, we're joined by Swindon's Reckoning, Beth Webb, film critic, presenter, and co runner of the Bechdel Test Fest, with previous podcast, Karina Antrobus. Hello, Beth. Hi! I would just never get tired of being referred to that in person, so thank you very much. <laughs> I mean, if you put it on your Twitter profile, it's a good go-to. I was thinking about putting something about Swindon there, and then you had something, a beautiful line already. <laughs> You're very proud of Swindon, I like that. I've You learn to take ownership of your roots, which is something I'm looking forward to getting into on the, the star of the film we're talking about, actually. Fantastic. I'm actually really honoured to be joined by a person from Swindon, because when I was a child, and producer Louise as well, we both grew up in Bristol and Swindon has the best swimming pool in that side of the country. So we would go to the Oasis swimming pool as a treat uh, independently whilst we were children. And you hail from the town of the Oasis swimming pool. That's true. I'm pretty sure it's a lie, but there was a strong rumour that circulated our school that the Oasis Leisure Centre was the reason that Oasis had the name that they did. <laughs> Oasis the band. I mean, the, the older I get, the more ridiculous it sounds, but also the, the more stubbornly I will enforce it as the truth. And it's also nice, I mean, in school, as well there was this kind of phantom rivalry between Bristol and Swindon I know there were between the football teams so I'm glad we can put the past behind us and, and sit together now I mean <laughs> over the course of the podcast I don't know what will happen but for now the, you know the white flag is flown Swindon's good we've put some good stuff out in the world of course Billy Piper she went to my school. What? Yeah. Did you know Billy Piper? Not. She was a few years ahead of me. She was uh, very much of Braden Forest uh, alumni, so fair play to her. Well, you know what? She's only directed a film, which is under 90 minutes, <gasps> which played at the London Film Festival and is due for release in 2020. Oh, fantastic. So, Rare Beasts. Don't know what it's about. Stars Billy Piper, directed by Billy Piper, 88 minutes long. Oh, I'm excited. Me too. Mm. Swindon is only a small part of your life. Um, <laughs> another big part of your life is the Bechdel Test Fest, and uh, we had founder Karina Antrobus on. I know you guys work really closely together. Yes. With Karina, we talked a lot about where that idea came from, but I'd love to ask you about how it sort of works on a day-to-day, how you decide which films you're going to get behind and, and what's going to come back to the cinema under the Bechdel Test banner. We've uh, we've actually struck a really nice balance because we're, jeez Louise, we're coming into our sixth year now thinking out loud that's extraordinary so we've we've struck what i think is a really nice balance of films that we really love just from our past that we think could do with a, a second airing or that perhaps people haven't seen before one of our most recent events was the 10th anniversary screening of whip it mm. one of our lovely new editions stuff what's saw there was a 10th anniversary coming up and, you know, such a strong film of camaraderie, but in a female context, which you don't get to see very often on screen. And it's really, oh, it's, it's just such a nostalgic watch. It's so lovely to watch back. And we've got a really lovely relationship with the Prince Charles Cinema in London, which is a great rep cinema, which I'm sure you've spoken about on here before. I love, I love <laughs> it there. Uh, so we have that. And then any new releases that we get really excited about, again, that we, we are very happy to endorse and put our weight behind, support the the Girls was a big release this year that really meant something to us, which is uh, out on Netflix now, actually. So if you're ever at a loss on a wintry night or a cold <laughs> night, go go away and watch that. But um, yes, it was just a lovely blend of new releases that passed the test or 
or or really kind of exudes things that we love and stand for as a collective and then also if there's an anniversary coming up or just something that we'd love to put out there and kind of share as a communal experience something that we think is bigger than just sitting at home and watching we'll put out and and hope that people come in and see them with us and also you're a, of course a film critic i'm sure a lot of listeners will follow you on twitter and, and read your read your words maybe hear your voice is Bechdel test separate to being a film critic or do you sort of does it sort of cross over in your uh, opinion to films i try and keep it separate if I can uh, it's good in that, that through my work as a critic I do get to see just so much more stuff that I wouldn't voluntarily <laughs> seek out for better or worse <laughs> but sometimes it works it works in a really wonderful way and I'm, I'm very fortunate in my work to go to you know a lot of film festivals and and get to kind of get a jump start on things coming out and bookier things that I think would be really really wonderful for us to to bring out and bring out on our own it's great in that I just get to see this wealth of films anyway that I can then kind of bring to the rest of the group. It's not just one person kind of charging onwards. Everyone's got to see and appreciate the film and, you know, be happy to back it because we, we don't get paid for a lot of it. A lot of it does just come from, from the love of it and the love of championing women in film, which I realise is vastly different from what we're talking about today. <laughs> but <laughs> that's part of the magic of it is bringing this film to, to people and, and being able to throw your weight behind it as someone who really wants to champion women in film and also, you know, as a fan, as someone who loves films. This is great. I mean, you're a kind of a perfect guest programmer for the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest in, in that respect. You know, we're thinking about what film we're going to choose and how we can eventize it and how we can sell it. So we'll get you to sell your film to the audience in the moment. <laughs> but first of all, I'd love to know how you approached this uh, request, how you decided <laughs> this film and then what film did you choose? Absolutely. Well, I've gone on at length about wanting to champion women in film and I adore doing that. I'm so fortunate that I get to do that on a day-to-day basis and it's been such a joy to see certainly in the last few years the shift in the industry. I think we're, you know, still such a long way to go, but it's such an exciting time for women in film and it's only going to get better, I, I, I hope, certainly. That said, sometimes you just want a little breather. And I, I get I get called and asked for a lot of opinions on women in film and, and I'm absolutely happy to do that. But sometimes, Sam, sometimes a girl just has got to go in on a Jason Statham film. <laughs> and that's why I'm here today to talk about a bookmark film in the Statham canon. That film is Crank. Action thriller starring Jason Statham as ace hitman Chev Chelios, who learns that he has been injected with a poison that will kill him if his heart rate drops below a certain point. Racing against time and against his own body, Chev must keep up the pressure as he tracks down the man responsible to exact his violent revenge. That's just a very to-the-point synopsis, that. (laughs) Yes. A disservice, I think, almost. I mean, they're saying what they're seeing, but there is a lot more, certainly a lot more to this film than what you've just read out there. So, yeah, released in uh, 2006, 88 minutes long, excellent runtime, a couple of minutes to play with, always good. (laughs) Good not to go up to the wire. Uh, Also, this film has an incredible tagline, you stop, you die. I sort of feel like the film should almost be called that. Oh my god, yes! So yeah, You Stop, You Die, starring Jason Statham. I'd buy a ticket. I absolutely would. Too many of his films are like one words or two words. Like, this is uh, this is an expansion, I like it. 
Before we get into the film, we should just put a spoiler warning up because we're going to talk about every element of plot way more than the synopsis talks about. So if you haven't seen <laughs> Crank yet or You Stop, You Die, pause the pod, go and watch it. It's available on Amazon Prime and all of that good stuff. And uh, we'll see you in 88 minutes for some film chat. So this is a debut feature film. You've chosen some plucky young filmmakers. <laughs> <laughs> plucky is the word. There is a real ambition behind how this film is put together. Um, I don't know if you'd agree with me. It's there. ambitious is probably, if I had one word to use to describe this film, ambitious <laughs> is absolutely correct. Uh, so it's directed by Mark Neveldean and Brian Taylor, who are credited as Neveldean and Taylor. Yeah. Neveldean slash Taylor, I think, at the end of the credits. There's a lot of at signs and slashes in this film. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't stop at director, do they? I think they do just about every single role in this film, mm-hmm. but being in front of the camera. Yeah, so they're both DOPs. I think one of them works on the music. One of them did a title sequence, which is a very like video gamey sort of title scene. So like yeah, they're they're very involved. As a debut feature film, this is like quite a bold thing to like, you know, this is us. Look at us. Yeah. We are Neville Dean slash Taylor. I was looking into them because I didn't know too much about them. Apparently they used to make ads. They met at film school yeah. uh, in the US and, and they made like 40 or 50 uh, commercials. But I don't think they're hugely proud of their ad work. It's very much like, you know, g- let's get some experience and then we'll make our, our debut film. And they said, you know, they didn't know if they were going to make any more films. So they put literally everything <laughs> into this first film, Crank. <laughs> when did you first see Crank? So I saw this I, and this is partly why I think I love it because of, of the first time I watched it. I was in my first year of university in Bournemouth and I made good friends with my housemate whose dad lived in London and we went to stay with him for a weekend and this was before I lived in London and London was still this kind of exotic hubbub of cosmopolitan energy so I felt very decadent going out to London for this like weekend away with her very cool not unhandsome father and <laughs> and we stayed in his really nice house it was just a, a very it was just a step outside of my life for a weekend so it was this big adventure anyway and then it was this Saturday night in London and um, he was like oh yeah I really really want to watch this film Crank that's come out and it sounds mad and he told us the concept which is you stop you die I mean you say we're going to get into the plot that's that's the plot <laughs> he stops he dies so we watched it and it was absolutely bonkers and I just remember being absolutely enthralled by first of all the experience of being in London with this very charismatic single hot dad (laughs) that my friend had brought me to stay with and then we got to watch this this absolutely bonkers film it just it was just also exciting to me and that that experience has kind of stayed with me since when you first watched the film don't know how much you remember from that first viewing but did you think that was a good (laughs) runtime i mean this was still the time when films weren't three and a half hours or even two and a half hours and I did not have the attention span for anything past that. So I think to me it was just a regular experience. I have since vastly come to appreciate a short runtime. I mean, I, I have an old boyfriend who still laughs at me if uh, I'm going on about how I didn't like a film very much and I'll say, oh, is it because it's more than an hour and a half, is it? And I'd be like, well, yes. That's a valid <laughs> criticism. <laughs> <laughs> this is it, you know, time is time is precious. Stop being so exuberant, Martin Scorsese. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> one more thing, Scorsese. <laughs> one more thing. Uh, so this film sounds like it's stuck with you for the last, I think it was like 13 years since the release? Well, 
Steve has in a big way. I really, I really love him. Like every time I get to to see one of his films, I think the last one I really had to sit down. Actually, Hobbs and Shaw was probably the last film I really had to sit down and digest. But before that, I had the the real pleasure of getting to review The Meg, and just just seeing how stubbornly he stays within his borders but still he's so accessible and fun and does not take himself very seriously at all anymore mm. i think that wasn't so much the case back then so he's stuck with me and i i have just the deepest admiration for him and i just think as i say this is this is kind of where it all started for me it was is with crank and i think where it started with a lot of people who admire him mm. this is certainly the first one i i don't think i've seen all the transporter films i don't think i've seen one transporter film actually saying that i should leave (laughs) (laughs) call myself a fan yeah this is where it kind of all began for me and so I was really pleased to go back and just see pleased and tentative because 2006 was another another time in the era of political correctness (laughs) which is something I'm sure we'll get into it's really funny like I think like I love looking back at how many films he, he's been in and, and he's worked so hard and he's been embraced by like the US. Not every actor can break that market. Mm-hmm. But now he's yeah, in Hobson Shaw, one of the biggest films of the year. Uh, and it feels like after watching this film, it still feels like quite an unlikely journey for him to go on. Like this feels like, you know, he's a British actor who's dipping his toe in like a Hollywood movie, but it's a low budget Hollywood movie, very gritty, a little bit, you know, more akin to the Guy Ritchie sort of work he'd done previously. And and now he's just like one of the biggest names in Hollywood. It's baffling. <laughs> it's extraordinary. It's admirable. I think it's completely admirable. And I love the fact that he's come as far as he has. And still, like, you can definitely see that he is, he's not afraid to not take himself very seriously. And I think that's definitely something that started here in Crank because... There is, I don't know what percentage of the film, but it's not small where he, uh, so he has to be admitted to hospital. Inevitably, he has to, he has to end up in hospital because he's all jacked up on this Chinese drug and, you know, he's going to have to dip in and out. But as a result, a a large portion of this film, he has to wear a backless surgical gown. There, there is nothing underneath that gown. <laughs> so we refer back to, to the previous moneymaker. We also get to see an awful lot of ass. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Stafe ass. Because he's sort of hiding in hospital. Uh, he's in his own clothes. He's also wearing this crazy shirt at the beginning of the film. <gasps> Do you remember that shirt? It's got <laughs> sort of a link chain print on it mm. and like wide lapels but it's like a two button day with him as well there's a lot yeah. of like chest on show so much going on there <laughs> busy it's I a know. busy arrangement and i was sort of thinking i was thinking about the costume a little bit because every time he changes he changes costume i think four times in the movie oh, okay it's really paying attention but like it's uh <laughs> it sort of signifies a new part you know like things are getting more desperate and i think the whole the hospital is a bit of a low point for him so then he's just on the backless gown yes uh, but he also like he it's his choice to do that because he's hiding to escape the hospital and he decides to also take his underwear off. Like that's just a that's a character that's a Chev Chelios decision. Uh, super hitman, <laughs> top of the line assassin decision to do that. It's commitment, but then he's also you know doing all these incredible stunts, riding a motorcycle b- with his ass out. Mm. And I just I just think that's commendable. I really do. And this is what I mean. It's this kind of trait that I think makes him so successful and so much fun to watch. Explain if I'm right. They gave you the Beijing cocktail. Very nasty shit. Works in the adrenal gland. Blocks its receptors. Now, the only thing you can do to slow it down at all is to keep the flow of adrenaline constant. Meaning, if you stop, you die. Hang on! 
I think it's really great that you've brought the first Jason Statham film into the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. Oh, uh, because we haven't really had a big action film yet, which is one of my favourite types of film. Yes. And sometimes they are quite long. So I think finding those gems that are under 90 minutes, we're doing people a service. It's very good. <laughs> uh, I have since learned as well, I think Jason Statham's got over 50 film credits on IMDb. Man's a machine. Oof. A mean machine. But he has got about four other movies which are eligible for the fest. So oh, any nice. future curators listening, if we want to have a Jason Statham sort of sidebar, a little strand, maybe a day, the Statham day at the fest, <gasps> you know, Crank could be the first of that. But <laughs> let's talk about Jason Statham a bit because he is the, he anchors his film. Like there are loads of people in this movie, but it's all from his point of view. It's a very physical performance. Yes. Like he, apparently he did all of his own stunts. Yes. And he is just just sweating he's a very sweaty man in this film and this isn't like sprayed on from a can sweat like the man is perspiring mm. constantly and it's because he did his own stunts and it's such a physically demanded like from the off and you say it's all from his point of view like the opening few scenes it's like peep show <laughs> you know we start the film as he's coming back into consciousness and doesn't know where he is we don't know where we are we're in this you know quite nice uh, apartment and uh, through this kind of peep show storytelling instantly you find out that he he has to keep his heart rate up or else he'll die so it's instantly he, he's up and he's around and he's scrabbling and like i don't think the levels really dip beyond that manic level of like tension and energy for the rest of the film mm. and he oh god he does so well he does so well and yeah i think he does a lot of his stunts i don't know so much now because he is so bankable i yeah. imagine like they've had to kind damage of, that face absolutely not that money maker but yeah well we'll get into the other money maker <laughs> <laughs> in a little while no, I see, we've got the same notes <laughs> <laughs> i think this would be a nice time to get into the journey of state which is something that really fascinates me because he started working on the market stores it's from what i understand his dad worked on market stores mum was a dancer this sounds like a, as i say it out loud this sounds like a um a bruce springsteen song <laughs> <laughs> the mum was a dancer dad worked on the stores and while his dad was training like working on the market stores i think he worked there a little bit maybe part-time and then he trained in martial arts but somewhere along the way he became a model for tommy hilfiger and french connection and then also a, a not olympic diver he was in the commonwealth games ah. as a diver but it was this kind of market store background that got him the attention of guy Ritchie, who then cast him in lock stock yep. and he kind of went from there so he's but he's never lost this kind of mixed arts training background and obviously he was a professional athlete as well and then he had the model model looks if you're inclined to see him that way <laughs> <laughs> he's a complete package <laughs> he is the complete package and you've got to think and that is where he excels over people like and I say this with love, but I know after Hobbs and Shaw came out, there were a few think pieces on whether Dwayne Johnson, love him, uh, has actually any sex appeal. Like people kind of tend to view him as this like very reliable, sturdy, but ultimately sexless mm. action hero. Whereas there's kind of this Lothario quality to Stath paired with the, the kind of action hero sensibility as well that makes him so, so great. <laughs> Hello, I'm Helen from Flixwatcher, 
And I'm Kobe, also from FlixWatcher. The Netflix review podcast you go to when you can't find anything to watch on Netflix. That's right. We are another podcast in the strip media family. So if you've struggled to find a film on Netflix, then we're the podcast for you. And we have guests from other podcasts, big and small. And they're the ones that actually choose the films that we then rate and review and talk about in our show. If you'd like to find out more about FlixWatcher or any of the other shows, visit www.strip.media to find out more. So on your latest watch of this film, did you sort of appreciate the... Because you're right, like we touched on it at the beginning. They sort of... All of the stakes... It's very front-loaded. They lay out all the stakes. You have about an hour and then you will die. And he is on, a, on, on the rampage to try and bring the men to justice who've done this and maybe get a cure. There's not really like a typical plot in this film, not really a free act structure. Does that hold up? I think if, if I was watching this film for the first time now, I would be slightly more bothered by that. I had in my mind the Chinatown scene and various other kind of plot points. I was just very excited to go on this journey with him to these various different stunts. It's almost like kind of like, a, like you say, like a computer game and you're building up and you're building up and building up to boss level. I'm enjoying that for what it is. I think if I try and apply too much logic and too much kind of sensibility to it, it will take away from the enjoyment, like a lot of his films. Jason Statham is almost a sign like, you can come in here, you can leave your critical hat at the door, we're going to have a great time together. Roll with the punches <laughs> and you'll have so much fun. And I thought that so much with the Meg, like the number of times that shark creeps up on those people. Mm. It's a it's a shark. It's a massive of shark. How is it going to... Yeah, roll with the punches and you'll inevitably have, have a much better time for it. And... Yeah, you are going to have to take it with a pinch of salt. I mean, there, there is some of it really is is quite nasty in terms of how he is quite, you know, there are a lot of kind of racist slurs and homophobic slurs. As I say, any chance they, they, they put forward that he's very much a straight white man, which is interesting when we talk about the Chinatown bit. It feels like these, the, you know, these are two young directors They've been given this budget to do this this movie. I think they are video gamers themselves. I think that that video game screen at the beginning is mm. something that they were very keen to put in to sort of set the tone of the film, but also to you know like wink to the audience like, hey, we play games. <laughs> 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 and and yeah, so I, I think some of the stuff sort of actually comes from like whilst films are not great at representation, video games I feel like are about ten years behind. Yeah, and I think some of that stuff is like kind of like a bad homage to some video games in terms of like archetypes and, and things. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. It almost reminded me, I, I made in my notes, it's kind of like a, this hyper-saturated like Bond formula almost in terms of some of the sub-characters, a really quite sloppily written, stereotypical kind of, yeah, like archetypes. We've got Pedro from Napoleon Dynamite. He's just this very sloppily written queer character he helps him i'm not quite sure why but yeah it, it's just they 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 make sure that they distinguish between the two that he is in no way a, a, you know a queer man in any any shape or form also that character gets killed and it's kind of like you have to be the safe to survive in this very hectic violent world we meet a lot of characters throughout this trip. The film is sort of this like whistle stop tour of, of, of the town, they, you know, and, and there's, they, they go to, again, lots of very action movie centric places, you know, like the strip club and yeah. the, the swanky swimming pool and the, you know, and then and, 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 and there's like some chases on the roads and things. In that first strip club they go to, which is sort of like, it's like a garage with a load of bikers in and some strippers. Yeah. And he has to get some information from someone who he's maybe worked with in the past. There's a scene in that 
this is like the first time I sort of looked at producer Louise, like, what's happening? They There's a brawl going on in this bar, and then they cut to the ex, like exterior shot of the bar, and the bar kind of like bounces as if people are like hitting the side and it's wobbling, <laughs> which is like a total break from reality and a weird flourish that they don't do that again in the film. They do a lot of other stuff. They do a lot of stuff that, I, that you're right, then never comes up again. So there's there's a wipe in it um, that I had to go back and watch a few times just to make sure that that was definitely what I was seeing and I wasn't just very tired. And it has teeth. There's like a wipe across the... Um, I'm doing a big gesture with my hand here, which isn't great for pod, pod language, but uh, and it's got teeth, like big chompy teeth just coming across the screen to then cut to another, another part of it. Like the visual storytelling in this film is absolutely wild. But then, yeah, you never see it again. No. So you'll see something else come in. Like there's um, a split screen that comes in where there's this kind of mafia surgeon who's his kind of voice of, of hope through this. And there's like really poorly fitted suit and, and he's telling him what he needs to do to keep his adrenaline up. And there's this horrible montage of like clip art, basically, of, of like stock images of things that will help keep his adrenaline up. Like two women kissing and like a matador with like a bull's horn up his bum and but you never see that again like no. it's just that like and and now this and you know just just wild visual storytelling as you say we come back to this again but ambitious but inconsistent it's sort of admirable how out there it is some of that stuff i, I think doesn't hold up so well in terms of just actually the quality of like the visual effects yeah. it looks a little bit 2006 done on a on a very sort of basic computer some of it looks older some of it i'm like this, this looks like it was made kind of mid 80s did you say one of the directors did the music the music's something as well the music's kind of like early noughties like i don't know like new metal type i want to know what the connection <laughs> is there because there's also a cameo from chester bennington mm, of lincoln park of lincoln park yeah the music to me sounds like when you go into one of these discount shops like Poundland or like a Dunelm mm -hmm. and you know where they can't quite afford to pay the royalties for like chart music so they play kind of stock music that's of a similar genre and it's almost like written by like an algorithm or something and it's it's this kind of all right we're working with a budget this is kind of what we can afford in that realm but it's not Lincoln Park or it's not this instead so you kind of are faced with this really bizarre it's not good. <laughs> it's not good, and I think they use it very... It's, it's quite heavily used. Yes. And it, it's not designed to be listened to that intensely. No, and neither is the dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> On top of that as well. This is... Um, yeah. It was towards the end of the film, and I really noticed the guitar coming in. I was like, I need to look up who did the music. It's the director. <laughs> I see. <laughs> glad you called but i'm not here uh can you leave a message unless you're trying to sell something because i'm not interested but if you're not then just uh, oh wait time's up hey doll looks like i lay you down again seems like all my life i've just been going 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 I wish I'd taken more time to stop and smell the roses, so to speak. Well, I guess it's too late for that now. Amy Smart plays Eve, Chef Chelios' girlfriend, who comes in quite late, I think, in the film. For the first 
few sort of attempts to contact her, she's not there. And and uh, she's uh, it, it, again like pacing is quite weird to introduce what is eventually a significant character. Yes, but really maybe like sort of halfway through, which makes you question just really how significant she is. Because I couldn't tell you what she does. <laughs> I couldn't tell you what her profession was or her background or or anything other than her name and that she's Chef Chelius's girlfriend. That said. Amy Smart handles this like a champion, <laughs> like an absolute champion, because she does not get a huge amount to do in this film, aside from one or two very, very key scenes, which require a lot from her. And she she just takes it like a real champion, like she really does. I think her first scene she's in, when Chev finally gets to his girlfriend's house and she's in and all that stuff, the the, the gangsters are out there to... to whack him yeah he does a sort of farcical element this is where i think neville dean and taylor i'm glad you picked up on this so neville dean and taylor might actually maybe maybe they are intending the whole thing to be sort of a bit of a joke because this is like legit farce yeah where he has to sort of she's looking over there and he runs around the block takes a guy out runs back as if nothing's happened yeah (laughs) and it's like because because she doesn't know what he does for a living which I, i don't think is a very thoroughly thought out plot point because he's a hitman I don't know what else he could be covering as she's either a really inattentive girlfriend or he's a really thorough liar do you know what I mean <laughs> like it's all he is is a hitman it's quite hard to cover but it's almost like a, a kind of rom-com as you say quite farcical element where he kind of has to zip off put someone down or kill someone and then zip back again to help her with her bags or something and it, it was quite charming that's the most charming the film gets I think <laughs> building on the fast there's just some like great visual gags at that point where he's having a fight with a guy with a gun the gun goes off and then it cuts to like an old lady's apartment with a budgie and the budgie just explodes and a bunch of feathers <laughs> and like that actually made me laugh like, yes. it's, again it's a really good like visual gag uh, but uh, but the film then sort of abandons that <laughs> for quite an intense scene in Chinatown yes. when Chev is trying to tell her I'm actually going to die I've been injected with some unnamed Chinese drug yeah. um, they keep mentioning that it's a Chinese drug uh, and, uh, <laughs> and I need to find a cure but I'm probably going to die I'm a hitman by the way and she just does not believe him Weirdly, (laughs) (laughs) oddly, and then uh, which then leads into what I was worried because again I haven't I haven't really seen this in a very long time so I knew what was coming but I couldn't remember how it was handled and I'd already asked you to go and watch this film and I just thought oh god so in the film he tries to keep his heart rate up through doing a number of activities he buys a lot of Red Bull at one point he's running around he listens to loud music and stamps his feet but then he decides that he needs to have sex with his girlfriend in a public area to stop him from dying. Yes. <laughs> that seems a bit weird. That scene was never not going to be just absolutely absurd. And and it starts off in a way which could allude to it being very problematic. But as I say, this is where I just have the utmost respect for Amy Smart because she really does take on this job and and manages to switch the tone around in a way where it doesn't make it like fun and rambunctious but it makes it okay (laughs) because it starts off where he's trying to be like kind of oh come on baby come on baby and and she's like no no because obviously it's a public space and it's in Chinatown and there's there's all these these tourists around taking photos and things they've she's already been kind of roughed up by him a little bit and then she decides to switch around and actually he's irresistible and and perhaps this is what what it takes Mm. and she really just just like she's like fine and just goes with it and turns it into as much an experience for her 
as it is for him. So that was important to me. <laughs> Certainly rewatching it, I was like, oh, thank goodness. Because, you know, you would hate to, to watch it again and think she was having anything other than a really good time. And she does manage to, to turn it around into as plausible as it can be yeah, in yeah. this kind of context where, where it does it like she's genuinely enjoying herself and then obviously he has to go away he leaves her quite a lot in this film I would be yeah. quite furious if I was Eve it's but a really weird decision as well for him to leave halfway through the act because he gets a phone call from another guy and yeah. like, oh yeah uh, I'll see you later love bye <laughs> <laughs> it's but it's also interesting as well in the lead up to that is, is actually the tone shifts and she's up for it at this stage she's like do you know what fine yeah let's do it and he can't perform to begin with. Mm. And I thought that was really interesting given all this like hyper-masculinity where a lot of the punchlines, terribly written punchlines, are at the expense of other men's sexuality and their inability to perform as men and be men. And, you mm. know, oh, you haven't got anything on me. I'm a, I'm the real deal. I'm a real man. And it comes down to this moment of inane pressure. You know, there's people taking photos of him. Mm. I think like a busload of schoolgirls shows up and starts to take photos. And he can't perform. He can't, you know, his insecurities get the better of him, even though it could kill him. And he can't do it to begin with. And then it really takes her having to encourage him and get him going. And then he finally gets into it. But I thought that was that was a real breakthrough in the plot is actually showing him not being able to do the thing that he's required to do. That's him. That's the biggest failure that he kind of does other than, you know, dying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eve is important to him later on in the film because then he's she gets really involved uh, with the gang and she joins him in the car and 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 it becomes like a major focus for him. Yeah, it just feels like that should have all been brought in maybe a little bit earlier. I think these directors just really love this character, which is quite sweet, I guess. A, d- a detriment to the film. You're completely right, but I do just think they're so enamoured with this person and his capabilities that they want to just kind of stay in his company for as long as possible on his own. But obviously, he needs this motive, and he needs somebody to kind of come in and, and take the plot to that extra stage. I feel like they're almost reluctant to even bring her in then. And again, maybe that's why she's she's just not very fully formed. As like, I don't know what she does with herself. She just seems to sleep in quite late, can't work a microwave, and is okay having sex in public. Just living, living her best life. Living her best life. <laughs> the film ends in an aerial fight on a helicopter, and and poor old Chev doesn't doesn't come out of it very well. It's quite a bold ending. It's just bananas, isn't it? So he's 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 been chucked out of the the helicopter. He's decided in his in his in during the plummet to his death to call Eve just to hear the voicemail and leave leave a voicemail. So it's kind of this running thing that he can't get a hold of her and every time he goes through to her very bland voicemail message and decides just to listen to that in his final moments and then leave a message to say, you know, sorry baby, having to let you down again or something. And then yeah, hits hits a car first and then ricochets off that onto the onto the tarmac. Which you think would do it, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> but then the sequel came a call in. <laughs> Not knowing that the sequel was about to happen when they were making this film, it's quite a bold ending for this movie yeah, and like really not following the action movie trope where everything's all fine in the end you know you just get you have a ripped shirt and you're wearing a nice vest or something like this guy falls out of plane and dies yes <laughs> quite bombastically mm. <laughs> it's quite a way to go yeah you're right actually i didn't consider it that they didn't have the sequel in mind at this stage maybe they didn't love him as much as i thought they did <laughs> or maybe they just loved him so much they didn't want anyone else to have him maybe so they Very killed protective him off and of just Chev. yeah <laughs> It's, uh, it's sort of like, I, I, you know, there's a lot of very ambitious stuff in the film, but I do think that ending is like actually, you know, 99% of the film is the safe as in now, you know, he'll come off okay at the end, go through some hardships, he'll be fine. But yeah, for him to play a character, I don't know if he'd even play a character where he dies at the end now. 
so there we have it. Crank is in the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. The very first action movie, Neville Dean and Taylor movie, and Jason Statham movie. I am so glad I could bring this to the canon and and give it give it the second iron it deserves. I just hope people love it as much as I do. I mean, you've got um, curating and programming experience for cinema events. How would you eventize Crank? How would you get an audience in to watch Crank at our film festival? I think definitely a state-a-thon. Me- <laughs> mega stuff. No. Jason Statham. That's Jason great. Jason Statham. And just pair it with... What would we do? We'd have to do the Meg. We'd have to do... Which was the first Fast film he comes into? Seven? Six. Six. So I think his first outing in the into Fast the Furious. Fast and Furious universe. And then a fourth. What would we have? Well, we could leave that up to the listeners, maybe. It's true. Listen to vote. Listen to vote <laughs> in this phantom safer phone. So when we get into the cinema for Crank, what's your... You could do anything to, you know, sort of put the film in context, maybe get the audience amped up. How would you dress the cinema? What would you do? Well, I'd put Chinese drugs in all of their bloodstreams. <laughs> no, what would I do? Oh, gosh, that's a really good question. I would make up a drinking game. I tend to do this with some of my favourite... A movie. I try and do this with a, a lot of films actually. My favourite, I came up with a really good drinking game with my old housemate Too Closer, which I will tell you about more one day. But definitely some sort of uh, drinking game involving what could we do? What would be the rules for this drinking game? Every time you see his bum, bum shot. Bum shot, drink for a bum. Drink for a bum. <laughs> I would say every time he says a terrible punchline. I think the Chester Bennington cameo would be a, a full drink. Down your drink. Down your drink. <laughs> Maybe every every adrenaline racing moment. Yep. So grabbing the Red Bull, sex in public, listening to loud music, drink, drink, drink. Drink, 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 drink. <laughs> and by the end of it, you'll be elated. Cool. I mean, 88 minutes, you're going to get a lot of drinking done. <laughs> Definitely. And then ready for a, a violent demise. <laughs> <laughs> So if you could invite one special guest, I think I know who it might be. Uh, who would you invite to this event? <laughs> I would genuinely like to hear Amy Smart's take on this movie. But obviously, obviously the man himself. We'd have to get Stephen. And I think get... he'd be up for it. I'd like to think he looks back on this film fondly. I, I'd hope so. I mean, this sort of was the first Hollywood movie. Big, big job for him. We could get both of them. We could have uh, Amy and Jason in conversation, maybe. I'd love that. What would you like to ask them both if you could ask them uh, maybe just like you know, a couple of questions? Oh, good Lord. Well, obviously the Chinatown scene. <laughs> How cold was it in that gown? <laughs> <laughs> do you do you still run around in hostel gowns? <laughs> Eve, what was Eve's job? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what was your favourite way of staying alive? They're all good questions. Okay, so there we go. We've got a nice Q&A there. Yep. Um, that's good. So we've got drugs, we've got q and It's going to be a wild training. <laughs> Do you think the film could or should be longer than 90 minutes? No, absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think it holds 88 minutes? A resounding no. Uh, 88 is good. I imagine that some of it was budgetary constrictions, but I think that definitely works in the film's favour. No, short, sharp and out. I was very disappointed to see that the sequel is actually longer than 90 minutes, so we could never programme the sequel in this festival. It's like 93. It's a real shame. I mean, yes, but then again, I, I, I'm I reluctant to see that in light of, of the myriad of races that are addressed in that <laughs> film and the very problematic treatment of uh, the races in this film. So so you've, have you never seen the sequel? I don't think I have. Oh. And I think for, yeah... 
I feel I'll like watch the trailer. Yeah. I'll go and watch the trailer after this and make up my mind from there. The directors did write a third movie, but it has not been uh, has not been made. Sadly, could you imagine if he did Crank Three now? I'd love now for him to do it because two was like almost straight after. Mm. But for Jason Statham off the back of the Fast and Furious movies and Meg to go back in, get Amy Smart back. Let's do Crank Three. <laughs> I would love that. I would have the utmost respect for him doing that. That would be amazing. I mean, Tom Cruise has gone and done Mission Impossible. Yeah, that's true. But and, and Top Gun, you know, that was a how long, a thirty-year break. Gun, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tom Cruise can come back and do Top Gun after thirty years. Yeah. I think maybe we leave it a little bit longer. Let's do a thirtieth nah. anniversary crank free. <laughs> uh, aging Statham uh, in crank free. <laughs> I bet he'd still look incredible. So we're looking forward to screening Crank at the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. Thank you very much, Beth, for selecting the film for us. Thank you for giving me this marvellous platform to uh, unpack it on. It's been lovely. Where can people find more of your work on the internet? Beth K. Webb on Twitter. And if you want to find out more about the Bechtel Test Fest, we're at Bechtel Test Fest also on Twitter fantastic and you have an excellent Bechdel Test Fest podcast uh, which listeners should check out too oh yes please thank, thank you for doing my job for me <laughs> yeah we've started a new podcast called Who Is She and every episode we profile a woman who has changed the landscape of cinema for the better our last episode was with the wonderful Joanna Hogg oh, we got a cracking interview with her on that so uh, yeah please do go and listen to that on iTunes and all your pod platforms thank you for listening and please subscribe on your podcatcher of choice and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. As an independent podcast, it really helps. Give us a five-star rating. Just drop five. Go on. Drop five stars for us. We're available wherever you get your podcasts and on 90minfilmfest.com. That's 90minfilmfest.com. You can contact us there or on Twitter and Instagram at 90minfilmfest. The show is produced by Louise Owen and me, Sam Clements. The show is edited by Louise Owen with sound mixing and additional editing by Luke Smith. Our music is by Martin Ostwick and our artwork is by Sam Gilby. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. member of the Stripped Media Network. That's how I want to go. That's my pre-death is uh, ass out on a motorbike.